You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good to see everyone that's here this morning to take the time out on a weekend morning to come and spend some more time studying the Word of God. We look at the world around us and observe some of the hardships that we have seen, uh, especially during a time in the last two or three years that had to do with COVID and people's reaction to it and the government's reaction to it and politics reaction to it and all the things that went on and also the unrest that resulted in some things that were uh, decisions that were made. We see the uh, civil unrest around us. We hear about wars that have been going on in other parts of the world and that's always a troubling uh, thing. We look at our society's mentality of entitlement and this enabling concept of no responsibility but wanting all things for themselves. We see that as, a, as something that is a part of the life that we live in. But that's been the case in just nearly every generation when we go back through history from the beginning of time. The Lord never promised the life of a Christian would always be easy. Becoming a Christian is not designed to correct all evils or to create a perfect job for someone or, or maybe to heal our diseases or repair the leaks on the roof of our house or straighten our children's teeth or, or give them a college education or find the best parking lot in front of Walmart. That's not what it's all about to be a Christian. And you'd be surprised how many people think that if I'm faithful to God, he will give me these trivial things that we have just talked about. And the evidence of that is seen when they don't get it. And then they blame God for it. So their concept of God's blessings on us are those kinds of temporal blessings. But God has never promised that. That is not a part of the promise he's given to us for salvation. Paul encouraged brethren in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. If you turn with me to chapter 14 of Acts and verse 22, Luke records here about Paul's travels to encourage brethren. And this is a comment that was made here by Luke's writing that Paul went through these areas, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, uh, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. The blessing, the hope, the, that which you look forward to, but it's going to come with tribulations. We, through tribulations, will enter the kingdom of God. So becoming a Christian is designed to save our souls, but it's also designed to give us that inner strength because in the world it's going to be that way. But he gives us something that gives us strength to carry on and do what he wants us to do. I want you to turn your attention with me to first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 7. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. In this context here, you have the Apostle Paul addressing Christians about what they experienced. He and his traveling companions and maybe other apostles as he refers to himself and we and us. And he's talking to them uh, in this introduction of this letter. And he's explaining to them about the comfort they have while they're being afflicted. That it's something they, that they wanted 
them at Corinth to have. Read with me if you will. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So he states, here's what we're going through. And he comforts us in all our tribulation. Notice he doesn't say he takes away the tribulation so we can be comforted. He's saying he comforts us, and then it goes on to indicate we're going to be facing tribulation. But he comforts us during this time. And we've been comforted with this. We have experienced that kind of comfort so that we can show others how that comfort can be gained. So he's talking about himself. Now he goes in verse 6 as he directs his attention to them and the value they can get from the efforts and the example that they set and the teaching that they gave them that they could benefit the same way as they, uh, that the uh, Corinthians can benefit the same way as us or we or Paul is saying here, verse 6, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer, or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will, be, you will partake of the consolation. Now, part of the tribulation that they had to endure was the fact that they were preaching the gospel, facing tribulation because of that, but their work was to teach people like the Corinthian brethren that they may be able to benefit from that teaching, and that teaching came at a cost. They had to deal with these tribulations, but they had comfort while they were doing it because they were doing a, a good work. And then he transfers that to them, saying, you can have the same comfort in the time of tribulation. And this was something that comforted them, the apostles, uh, Paul, as he wrote. Now, the very last verse there, verse 7, says, Our hope uh, for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings. Why were they suffering? Well, Christians in this day and time suffered because they stood for the truth. If a Christian surrendered and went along with the world around them, it, they wouldn't suffer. They'd get along with the world. But they weren't going along with the world. They were taking a stand, and they were suffering tribulation. And Paul says, there's going to be comfort in that. There will be consolation. You will face tribulation. But you can be comforted in those tribulations. Well, to be partakers of that suffering means they have gotten their faith strong, they become active in their faith. And when the tribulation and trial comes along, they work that much harder to have their faith strong. They stay busy. They stay busy in their faith. And that's what I want to look at this morning. When we look at this, we have this implied idea from this verse, overcoming suffering by doing something to maintain our faith and not to give in to the affliction. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to be uh, giving in to what he's challenging us with so that, so that we'll finally give up what we were following and go, to his, go his direction. But true faith and our steadfastness means we, we do something. We're active in keeping our faith strong. Now, 
As Christians, when you're troubled in life, how do you find this consolation, consolation being a comfort? How do you find it? All through the Bible, we find examples, especially in the Old Testament, of righteous people who became discouraged in some point in their life. We can just touch on some examples. For example, Job, Samuel. Samuel became very discouraged when the children of Israel were wanting a king. David, when we look at David's life and we see a great man, we also see some challenges. We see some tribulation. The book of Psalms reflects that. Jonah, uh, we have Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who went through tribulation, threat of his own life. But not only that, the, the grief he had for his own people going down the drain, so to speak, by their ungodliness. And they were about to be taken into captivity and taken away from their own land. And that was a burden on Jeremiah. And he complained about that. And we have others that we could look at. And we're going to look at some of those examples this morning. But let us keep in mind, when we go back to the Old Testament and look at David and Jeremiah and some of these characters, they're not mythological characters. In fact, one of the evidences for that is the fact that the New Testament writers would reflect on their, uh, these people in the Old Testament. They would use them for examples to teach. Now, it doesn't make sense for a New Testament writer to teach a truth with a fable. And so these people were real people. And in fact, some of these people that we read of in the Old Testament were relatives of New Testament writers. They were brethren. They were of the bloodlines of somebody, of their forefathers. So we're dealing with real examples here. We can't just dismiss them and say, oh, well, that's just Bible stories. These were real people. These are people who, if they're faithful and we're faithful, we're going to meet them someday. We're going to see them. They're not going to be a myth or fable. They'll be there in the day of heaven, uh, in the day of judgment, and in the eternity in heaven. So let's keep that in mind as we study about these examples of, of the ones we're going to look at in our study this morning. We can see from a study of these characters who had their tribulations and had their discouragements what it took to get them out of that and learn lessons for ourselves. So let's begin by looking at the first one, and that is Moses. We want to look at this example, these examples of consolation, Moses, in Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And then we'll look at verses 10 through 17. Numbers chapter 11. You know, in COVID with masks, you couldn't do this. Lick your thumb and turn the pages. And, uh, I tried doing it one time. It didn't work. Numbers chapter 11. The children of Israel have left Egypt, of course. And the book of Numbers is essentially the numbering of the children of Israel before they wandered in the wilderness. And then at the end of the wandering, they numbered them again. But there's a history in between there that's, that's talked about. It says, now when the people complained, it pleased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, 
Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna. Skipping on down then and looking at verse 10. It says, Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get, a meat, get meat to give all the peoples? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If you have found favor in your sight, if I have found favor in your sight. And do not let me see the, the uh, wretchedness. And so the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand here, uh, stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it in your bear it yourselves. Was Moses discouraged here? He was very discouraged. When you look at the things that he said to the Lord, he complained about the the food. The people complained about the food and uh, that God had sent them. And Moses was deeply discouraged. And Moses complained. And Moses blamed God. You heard that before? Doesn't that sound familiar? When we find people that get discouraged, sometimes they'll turn around and say, why does God do this? Why, doesn't, why does God allow this to happen? Where is God when I need him? Why am I suffering? And they will essentially blame God for these things. That's exactly what Moses was doing here. But notice the solution and notice what happens in, 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 as we look at this example. God didn't bow down to Moses in his whining and carrying on. God told him to get up and do something. God believed in Moses. He was one of his. Even though Moses had this attitude, God believed in Moses. God let Moses know that there was still work to be done and that he was qualified to do it. He could do that work. He was created for a purpose. He was given a purpose, and he needed to get back into that purpose. And one of the purposes was, in order to solve this problem, was that he needed to gather these men together and make an arrangement so that this could be lifted off his shoulders, following God's advice to get back to work and to take care of matters. And so being reminded of this purpose, it helped him to change his heart. And his heart then became industrious. Ultimately, he led the children of Israel to the promised land of Canaan. He got up and got busy and he started doing what God wanted him to do. And that helped him get over his discouragement. Let's look at another character, too, that we, we hold in high esteem. 
Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that spied out the land, said, we can take the land. So we admire Joshua right off the bat. He was the great leader uh, to fight the battles in Israel or in Canaan uh, when Moses died. And so we look at Joshua and consider him for just a moment and the way that he had to deal with his afflictions. In Joshua chapter 6 and verses 18 through 19, this is after the Lord had uh, told them what to do as far as conquering the battle of uh, conquering the city of Jericho. Uh, if you look at the first six verses there, or rather the first verses in chapter six, and going down through there, God told them to march around the city and uh, seven days and so forth. And so they did all of that. But I want us to move on down to chapter six and verse eighteen there were some rules that they had to honor when they conquered the lands. And you, by all means, abstain from, uh, and you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So here's a warning. Here's what God told them to do. They were successful in fighting the battle, but there were rules involved with this. And now we see something falling apart. Let's go to read in, well, in verse 27, let me read that. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. But now here's where it starts to fall apart on Joshua. But the children of Israel in chapter 7 committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Sabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and they said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about, let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver them into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content to dwell in and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Now watch the Lord's reaction here. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Well, what was he doing? You've seen a child, you don't want to see this too often. Parents shouldn't let it happen too often. 
but you tell the child to do something. They don't want to do it. And they fall on the floor and they start kicking and screaming. Joshua, when this happened, fell on the floor and complained. And he did exactly like a child. And he blamed God. He complained about it. But God looked at this situation. God looked at Joshua and the elders. And he said, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them for. They have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have put, they also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. Get up. Get up sanctify the people and sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel there is an accursed thing in the midst of Israel and you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you the solution that God offered him was not to pamper him and not to coddle him he said get up and get busy and start doing what you're supposed to do you see God believed in him he believed in him more than Joshua believed in himself. God believed in him. God believed that Joshua was qualified to do this work and to carry this work because Joshua had a purpose. He was created for a purpose, and that purpose was to serve God and to get the work of God done. And so guess what? Acknowledging that, going through the process of finding the one who was wicked and the punishment that followed after that, when all that was said and done, Joshua then led the children of Israel successfully into the land of Canaan, conquered the land, divided the land up, and was successful in acquiring the land that God had promised them. He got up and got busy, and it got him over this discouragement. Let's look at another character, too. Elijah. We think of the great prophet Elijah. You go to the New Testament, and the New Testament writers refer to Elijah. And yes, indeed, he was a great man. Over in 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 1, verse 1 is describing the after a three-year period of drought when the Lord did not allow or the Lord caused the rain to stop. Then the Lord told Elijah that we're going to start, that you're going to start having rain again. He said, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Now skip on down with me, if you will, to verse 17. So he goes to Ahab, and it says, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450. Now, 
when we look at the rest of this, I would love to spend time going and reading through it because it talks about Elijah, um, Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal and how that they, they called for their gods. If you look in verse 28, they called on the name of Baal from morning till evening. They leaped about the altar trying to get the attention of God. It was interesting that Elijah made the mocking statements. Well, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or, or perhaps he's asleep and you need to awaken him, you see. And then he goes on down. They cried aloud more. They cut themselves and their God did not respond. So Elijah, it was his turn to offer a sacrifice to his God. In verse 32, we see that he made a trench around the altar where he was going to offer the sacrifice. He had in verse 33 and verse 34, water poured over the altar there three times. And so the, water, uh, the, the altar was wet and obviously wouldn't burn in a natural setting here. And then in verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. In verse 40, and Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. What a hero. We look at his faith, willingness to stand against the king and the king's 800 men there, or 850 as are given as uh, those who were prophets, and we find him standing against them. But by doing that, guess what happened? He faced death because of his actions. When we go into chapter 19, read with me. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And then as he lay asleep under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was cake on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time. It's like a snooze alarm looks like here. The second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been zealous for the Lord of hosts for the children of Israel and forsaken your, uh, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. 
But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He repeated what he said earlier. He said, I have been very zealous to the Lord God of hosts because, of the children of Israel, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Woe is me. He had a pity party. He was ready to die. He was just terribly discouraged and more or less blaming God for all that was taking place. And then in, in verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel king over Assyria. Also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint his prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And yet, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knee, knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth was not, uh, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, look at how he reacted to his condition, his tribulation. He was paralyzed. He didn't want to do anything. He wanted to die. He went into a cave. The Lord then convinced him, because you see, the Lord still believed in, in Elijah believe that Elijah could carry out the task that he was assigned to do. Told him to go and go to work. Go uh, anoint the king of Syria. You were created for a purpose, Elijah. Go do your purpose. Carry out your work. Well, acknowledging his purpose, he came out of hiding, ultimately set in order the future events that would unfold for the way the children of Israel would fare in the future years to come. I want to look at one more character, and that's the Apostle Paul. We think of Paul as the great hero of the New Testament. He wrote most of the epistles or letters that we find in the New Testament, or most of the books of the New Testament, as far as that goes. And we find something about him, but we also discover something about him when he became discouraged. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 22. The scripture says, as Paul is reflecting on his history, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? Well, so am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes more measure, above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. He's referring to those who were in Corinth, who were stirring up trouble, making great claims about their work in Christ, and putting down the Apostle Paul as if he was not a worthy person to consider. And Paul's addressing them on that matter. And he's telling them about his history. And he's talking about the things he had to go through. Verse 24, for them from the Jews, uh, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day in the deep. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and of the Gentiles in the city and the wilderness in the sea 
among false brethren in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst and fastings, often in cold and nakedness. And besides all other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. We go on down a little further in uh, chapter 12, and let's look at verses 7 through 10. It says, and least, and least I should, uh, and lest I should be exalted above measure, my abundance of revelation, uh, above uh, measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I might, it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you know what the thorn in the flesh was? I don't either. So we're not going to talk about that. But what we are going to talk about is that he pled three times. Wasn't the first answer good enough? Here we find a complaining Paul. He was not satisfied with just, I take the thorn away from me, and it wasn't done, and, it, and he pled more, and he pled more. He was complaining, of course, about the thorns. The Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, saying, you've got work to do. Get to work and do it. And that set his mind straight again. And so he counted it a blessing that when he suffered, he was made stronger and the grace of God was with him, helping him. What about the Apostle Paul? We can go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And we read an example of what the work kind of work he did. He talks about how the dispensation of the grace of God had been given to him, how he had written down in a few words where the brethren could read and understand the plan of salvation, the gospel of Christ. He wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 5 through 8 about the fact that he had finished his work. He had completed the task that God had given him to do. Why? Because he made up his mind to get to work in the times when he was discouraged. There's a common denominator that's found with all of these that we can look at and it can help us in our way of thinking. They all struggled with the challenges in life, even greater than ours. We look at that list that Paul did. How many of us have had to endure something like that? And yet, he was able to endure those things. They complained at times. They even blamed God at times for their suffering. Now, don't jump to the conclusion because we have gone through here and looked at these examples of men who were complaining, and that's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, therefore, I have a right to complain. It was just simply listed as that's what they did. It's not a recommendation for we have a right to complain until the Lord gets on to us. So don't, don't get that idea in mind. Their complaint was simply a recorded fact so that God's work with them could be understood, why he had to deal with them. But God reminded them that he was with them, that they still had a purpose, and that was as Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, Fear God and keep his commandments. Have trust in God, respect God, fear God, and work. Get to work. Keep his commandments. Do something. That would get you out of that discouragement. 
they still, they all still had to do work. God believed that they were qualified to do their work. God urged them to repent of their paralysis and get busy and get to work. And so we can see him telling them to, to get up, as he told Joshua, get up. As he talked to Elijah, what are you doing? As he talked to Moses and told him to do his work. And by correcting their problems and getting back to work, they overcame their discouragement. And they finished their work on earth. Now remember, when we get discouraged and it paralyzes us to get things done, Satan loves it. That's the perfect time for him to set in and cause a person to be lost. Who's a Christian? One who's God's people. For him, that's the opportune time. And we sometimes help him if we're not careful. Because we don't give, we, we give in to him and we just complain and we get down. We don't get busy and get up and work. And these examples show us how doing God's will uh, will cause us to become stronger in his service. I don't know about you, but in application in my daily life, I can get discouraged, and what happens is you get discouraged, and suddenly you lack peripheral vision, and you get tunnel vision, and the only thing on earth is that thing bothering you, and you've blinded yourself from things around you that really are doing pretty good. Get rid of the tunnel vision. Look at the work that you know you're supposed to do as a child of God. Invest yourself in that, even if you're hurting Get up and do those things because that work is going to get you busy in your own faith. It's going to get you interested in your spouse, your children, your brothers and sisters. And suddenly the world isn't just that problem. The world has a lot of great things out there. God believes in us and God has told us to get to work. And that work will help us overcome discouragement. In conclusion, these principles still apply today. We looked at Old Testament characters and New Testament characters, but we're characters and we're just like them in the things we face. We were created with a purpose and work to do. And let's never lose sight of that, that we still have work. I don't care what level of maturity you are as a Christian, there's work you can do. And that work can take your mind off of the things that are a discouragement to you and at the same time create in you a sense of accomplishment which gives you more courage to press on. Think about these things, brethren. These are ways that we can overcome and can lift our own hearts to serve God. Would you bow with me as we end this session with a word of prayer? Our holy God and Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples that we can turn to and see how you've interacted and how you have advised and how you have given your confidence in us. Help us to have that confidence to be able to serve you and please you. Thank you for giving us instructions that we can all follow. We appreciate the fact that you've not given us a burden that's beyond our abilities, but we can do what you've asked us to do. Help us to repent of our paralysis, repent of, of being uh, stagnant in our faith. Help us to be strong and reapply ourselves to your revelation, your instructions, and find comfort in doing what is right. Find the consolation that Paul spoke about to the Corinthians. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.